I want to thank everyone for bearing with my vacation time the last two weeks. But unfortunately, my family came back sick. So be in prayer for my wife and kids as they have weaker immune systems than me. I just want everyone to know that man flu is not a thing. Just kidding. I usually get sick first, so I'm just happy that they, uh, they did. I want you to take a moment and look around you. Go ahead. Look at the people around you. Look at, not your husband and your wife, look, look around you, beyond your family circle. If it were not for the church, would you spend time with these people? Would you hang out on the weekends with these people? I know we have some strange people. How about, can you turn me up a little bit? It's on. Can you hear me? All right, everybody can hear me now. If it were not for the church, would you hang out with them? What brings us together for an hour, hour and a half, two hours if I get real long-winded? What brings us together at the, in the church? Well, for the church, we can say that it's Christ that draws us together. And it's easy to forget the fact that for the Christian, church is essential. Church is essential. Over the next few weeks, we're going to have a series on church membership. Normally, we exposit a book of the Bible, and we go through it verse by verse, and we see all the aspects of it. I'm going to be taking verses, expositing them to show you that church membership is essential for the Christian. We are going to ask something of you, though. This is very serious, that I'm going to ask you to do something for me. I want you to commit to either coming every Sunday to hear this series or listen to it online. We're going to video record it as well, but I'm asking that you will make sure that you do not miss an episode of this series. And I'm asking that because I think we need to be unified on the topic of church membership. We need to be unified in what does it mean to be a member of a church. This is a big topic, and it's extremely important for you as a Christian. It is essential for you as a Christian to understand membership in the church. So why does meaningful membership matter? That's a lot of M's. Why does meaningful membership matter? That's the question that we are going to answer in our series. And we're going to start with Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. So if you would join me in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, and we'll start in verse 11. The word of the Lord starts like this. So then, remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcised by those called the circumcised, which is done in the flesh by human hands. At that time you were without Christ, excluded from the citizenship of, heaven, of Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who are far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who made both groups one, and tore down the dividing wall of hostility in his flesh. 
He made of no effect the law consisting of commands and expressed in regulations so that he might create in himself one new man from the two, resulting in peace. He did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross by which he put the hostility to death. He came and proclaimed the good news of peace to you who were far away and peace to you who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole building being put together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together for God's dwelling in the Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we see your word, we see that church is essential. We see that you have created from hostile man a people who will worship you. Lord, you have worked in the lives of us to make us into believers in Christ Jesus. You have led us to faithfulness in you. And Lord, we, we want to be a church that is faithful to you. Father, as we had an elders meeting yesterday, we prayed specifically for the unity of our church, that we would grow in our faithfulness, not just in bottoms in the pews, but, but faithfulness. Lord, we thank you for your mercy and your grace to us. Father, we could not do this without you. We thank you for the gift that is the church. It is a gift that is a foundation that builds to a worshiping people. Lord, I would pray that we would be a people that worship today. I pray that those churches that are in other areas that have struggled to meet, whether due to COVID restrictions or through persecution, that they would be faithful to you. Lord, lift up their pastors as they preach the message, knowing that they could be committed to prison or could be killed. Lord, we pray for your mercy and your grace upon us, and we don't take lightly the comfort that we have here today. And all these things, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I've been in Sierra Vista now for about two years, and I like to ask questions of people that I run into. One of the main questions I like to ask is, what is your faith background? What, where do you go to church? Often, I will hear people say things like, well, I'm a Christian, but I don't go to church. Or I'll hear things like, well, I go to several churches. I'm like, well, do you have a membership at one of these churches? Oh, no, I like to go to different ones at different times. And I feel sad for these people. I feel sorrowful for these people. Because they don't have a family. They are orphans. They are orphans in the faith. When you say you are a Christian, but you do not have a church that you can call home, you're an orphan. You may be a believer in Jesus Christ, which is absolutely true. You do not have to be a member to be a Christian. I know of many people who have been converted far overseas where there are no faithful churches. And... They are Christians. They are believers. We know that the, the man on the cross, when Jesus said, you will be with me in paradise, he did not have a church home. So we know that salvation is not dependent on your church membership status. 
But what we do know is that the ordinary means of grace is through membership in a local church. Many Christians live by hamstringing themselves. They live by crippling themselves when they don't join a local body of believers. In fact, I received a notice not too long ago saying my membership had been renewed. Well, I didn't even know that I had a membership with this company. And this, this email said they're going to charge me so much money for a membership renewal. So, of course, I called them and I canceled them and said I don't even remember signing up for this membership. So membership has a funny connotation in our society, doesn't it? When we think of membership, we can think of a gym membership that we go to only in January when we make our New Year's resolution. Or we think about um, a, a, a membership to a, a meal planning site that we look at only when we feel guilty about the donuts that we had for breakfast this morning. And so we think about membership in all these ways, but I really want to define that for us and then think of it more in the terms of being a partner. We see that when we got done um, in our last series, Paul often said, you are partners with me in the gospel in Philippians. So we are a partner, a covenant member, maybe even more clear. So let's go ahead and define it. First, let's go to the definition. Biblical church membership. Now this is long and complicated, but we're going to talk it over several times. So don't worry about trying to catch it all in one scoop. Biblical church membership is when a Christian formally commits themselves to a local body of believers who have joined together for specific, divinely ordained purposes. These purposes include receiving instruction from God's Word, serving and edifying one another through the proper use of spiritual gifts, participating in the ordinances, and proclaiming the gospel to those who are lost. In addition, when one becomes a member of a church, he or she submits themselves to the care of the authority of the biblically qualified elders that God has placed in that assembly. So why does meaningful church membership matter? First, it's because you matter to Jesus. Look at verse 11. Paul, when he was writing to the Ephesians, he expressed what it means to be a Christian. And in this short per portion, he describes unity in Christ. Verse 11 says, So then, remember, this is a past thing that they have to remember. At one time, you were Gentiles. Remember we talked about what a Gentile is? It's a non-Jew. In the flesh, called the uncircumcised. We're not going to go into that. There are kids in the room. By those called the circumcised, which is done in the flesh by human hands. He talks about their past. He says, you were not the people of God at one point. You were not members in the body. You were called this by the Jews. And the issue, of course, is that you are without Christ at that time in the past. So remember your past. You had no citizenship. Remember, citizenship during the Roman Empire was very, very important. You needed to be a citizen to get special benefits. Not too far, unlike today. And he said you were without the covenant of promise. And you were without hope of God. Doesn't that describe us? Doesn't that describe how we were 
when we were without Christ? Does that describe how you were before you became a Christian? And then in verse 13 through 18, he starts to really open up about the now. He says, but now, in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We could spend some time exegeting that. We could spend a lot of time working through what the blood of Christ means. But we're focusing on membership today. But remember this. Before you were a Christian, you did not know God. You did not know God. You may have had some ideas of who God was. You may have created something in your mind. But until the blood of Christ redeems you, you do not know God. And that's what he's saying here to these Gentile Christians. He's like, but now the blood of Christ has covered you. You have been brought near. I like the relational language, being brought near. He says in verse 14 that he is our peace. For he is our peace, who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. We talk a lot about reparations. We talk a lot about uh, racial reconciliation. This is the ultimate level of racial reconciliation, the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Jews were very hostile towards the Gentiles, and the Gentiles were hostile to the Jews. Both of them claimed some type of superior knowledge. And what Paul has said, he said, the Jews had God, but we need Christ. And they need Christ. And so both the Jew and the Gentile need Christ. He is our peace. He makes them both one, nullifies the law, creates one new man from the two. And then he gives us a a purpose statement in verse 16. He did this so that. So when you read your Bibles and you see the word so that, it's very important that you focus in on the so that. Why did God send Jesus Christ to make reconciliation? Why did God send Christ to die on a cross who, in his willingness to obey? So that. What does it say there? So that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross by which he put hostility to death. Do you see that? You were hostile to God before you were a Christian. When you became a Christian, he removed that hostility. He gave peace both for the Jew and the Gentile, bringing both to the cross. He ended the hostility, the thanatos, the death. The Jews would have an inscription on their temples, or on the temple. And as you entered the temple as a Jew you would see that there was an inner court that you were not allowed to enter. And in it, they would have this word, Thanatos, inscribed on it. Death, if you enter here. You have brought death upon yourself. If you are a a Gentile and you enter into the court not reserved for the nations, if you enter into the Jewish court, you would see this inscription saying, You are bringing death upon yourself, and you would be stoned. You would be killed 
for entering into the Jewish portion of the temple. And what Paul has done here is he's taken that inscription and used it to point to this fact that we have access to the Holy of Holies through Jesus Christ. When you become a Christian, you have access to God through Jesus Christ. He gives us of the method in verse 17. He says, and came and proclaimed the good news of peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. Peace is the result. Peace with God. And the result in verse 18 is through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Have you thought much about the word Father in reference to God? When you seek to understand God and to know God, what are some ways people have tried to grasp after who God is? Think about the olden days. How would people look for God? They would spend time meditating in the woods, looking at the trees, looking at the spirits, seeing the storms, and they could get a sense of power, could they not? When we look at our beautiful mountains here in Sierra Vista, what are some things that go through our mind? How vast that is, how big they are. It's awe-inspiring. However, only through Scripture do we understand that God is Father. God as Father. And we have access to our Father through Jesus Christ. This is a mind-blowing reality. When we pray, we pray to God the Father. We don't pray to God the mysterious one or the unknown God, as Paul told the Athenians. We pray to God as Father. Now, some of you have earthly fathers who are terrible people. I get that. But they do not represent God the Father. And when we look to God the Father, we look at His Word that has been revealed to us. That's how we understand who God is. He has been revealed to us, and then Jesus has taken that on and really exploded our understanding. In fact, our prayers, the model prayer that we have, what do we pray? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Jesus points to the fact that God is Father. The pagan world that this letter was originally written to, well, he wrote to the Christians, but they came out of a pagan world. They had gods of all kinds, but those gods offered no hope. So I grew up in Senegal, and in West Africa, they have, they're very proud of being animistic. Being animistic means that you have spirits in everything. There's a spirit in, in the tree, and they would not walk by the tree during the uh, noontime because that spirit from the tree could jump on it and possess you. And so they had this animistic understanding. And so they would try to appease the spirits by wearing griggories with the Quran. They would mix Muslim concepts with their animistic practices, and they would try to do all these things to appease the gods. What a hopeless state that is. But you know what? We have a society full of hopeless people. Where do people find their hope in our society? Where do people find peace? Just think about the last Netflix show you watched. In that last Netflix show, what was it that you watched? Were there people in there looking for hope in their intellect? 
Were there people looking for hope in their sexual identity? Were there people looking for hope in following their heart? We have a hopeless world that surrounds us. And yet, here in Ephesians, Paul says, you did not have peace, but now you have peace. You did not have hope, but now you have hope. Through Him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So that then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. I was at a graduation um, a couple weeks ago. This is why I went on vacation, was to see a bunch of my old youth graduate. And several people gave speeches. And as typical as most teenagers are when they give speeches, they gave a lot of um, sayings from other people, relying on Abraham Lincoln and all these other people that were famous. But one of the main themes was to follow your heart. Follow your heart is the religion of our society today. Why is that wrong? Why can't we follow our heart? Well, I'll tell you. There was one brave young lady in her speech. She says, don't look at the physical things. She says, follow Christ. And in her speech, she gave a clear presentation of the gospel. Because she understood that this world is hostile. There are hostility to God. And the only way to have that repaired is through the faith in Jesus Christ. So, we're starting to understand now that we are called to Christ. And if we are a people called to Christ, then we have a name. Here he starts to say we are God's members of God's household. We are fellow citizens and saints in verse 19. Only Christ in his sacrificial blood breaks the barrier of hostility and brings all of us weird people together. We all have different hobbies. We all have different likes. Some of us would rather not be around people. Some of us like to be around shooting. Some of us like going to the range. Some of us don't like Republicans and some of us don't like Democrats. But we are surrounded by one thing, the love of Christ. And that's what we're here for. So, if you matter to Jesus, you matter to us. If Christ died so that people could break that wall of hostility to God, why would we do anything less than to die for those around us? We're one family. We are a household. When you see the word household, that means we're a family. Now, I know many of you have Thanksgiving dinners just like I do, and there are certain members of our family that we do not want to invite. We know that they will probably get drunk and then lay down on the floor and cause a lot of problems. I'm not saying any names. But we have family members who we don't necessarily like. And that can be the church. When uh, the early church, they used to say that the death of Christ has created a third race, a new humanity. I really like how they said that. Outsiders become insiders. Those unworthy are now honored at the table 
Uncle Joe is welcome at the table. It is a miracle. It's people we would not invite to family dinners are now invited. The person you're sitting next to is not worthy of the grace of God. They're not even worthy of maybe your grace, but neither are you. So, what does it mean to be God's family? Well, it means that the church is universal and local. Look at verse 19. It says, so then, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. So he uses the language of the saints. I love this language of family. We're brothers and sisters here. We are brothers and sisters with all Christians throughout time. Think about that for a minute. We are brothers and sisters with all Christians. That's a big family. So we have a universal family. We have a family that extends beyond the boundary of time. But we also have a local family. It says in verse 19, we are fellow citizens with the saints. Remember, saints are not anything in particular, right? You don't have to earn a special sainthood, but it just means the holy ones. The one set apart, a Christian is a saint. And he says, the saints, we are members with the saints and members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. Think about this family. Christ as the cornerstone. The Old and the New Testaments are part of the foundation. When you think about a cornerstone, it's the most important stone in your foundation laying. I'm not a, an architect, so I couldn't tell you the details. But what I can tell you is if you do not have a cornerstone, your house may be a little wonky. You may have a house that does not get built in the right direction. So we have to be a house built on Christ. We see two levels here. We see a vertical with God as our Father in verse 20. And we see the horizontal. It means that as family, we are accepted and people know your name. In a family environment, you can relax. I don't know about you, but on Thanksgiving, most of us like to wear stretchy pants. I'm not wearing stretchy pants today because I'm being in a more formal setting. But when you're with your family, what do you wear? Your comfortable clothes. I have a shirt that I'm not allowed to wear outside the family. There are things that we have that are family-oriented, and we can be comfortable. So what does that mean for our church? Does that mean that we show up in flip-flops and tank tops? That's not wrong. We could do that. But it means that you can be yourself here. It means that even though you're weird, we will love you. Even though I'm weird, you love me. Even though you have some strange habits, you have some weird tics. Maybe you're not accepted anywhere else in the world, but you are accepted here. Not because of anything you've done, but because of Christ. So a family means we do not do this alone. If you have a family, you know the importance of having a mom and a dad both working together. When I'm gone, the house falls apart. 
When my wife is gone, our family falls apart. For some reason, everything in my house breaks when I'm gone for a few days. I don't understand what it is, the dishwasher, the washing machine, the door, anything. Something breaks. When I leave, or when my wife leaves for a couple days, the kids fall apart. I don't know what it is. They're crying and screaming and dad needs help. We need both of us working for it. So that means that there is a growing unity in our marriage, just like there's a growing unity in the church. We are to grow. In verse 21, it says, In him, the whole building being put together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Union with Christ leads to growth in worship. What is, what is the purpose of a temple? What was the purpose of the Old Testament temple? It was to worship God, the God of the universe. We only grow in our trust in Christ when we are united to Christ. And that growth happens in community. Remember when I said, I feel sorry for the person who says they don't have a church home? They're not a member anywhere. It's because they're not growing in their community. I'm going to tell you, nine times out of ten, when someone tells me that they are a Christian but they don't go to church, I find that they are an unhealthy Christian. They have bad theology. They have weird understanding of Scripture. Maybe they're weak in prayer and their Bible. Maybe they have a series of mental illnesses. I find it every time. In fact, most of the biblical counseling I do are not our church members. They are people that are outside the church from other churches or not even having any church. And I have to counsel them biblically because they are not getting fed a constant diet of Scripture. So, it's important, friends. We are built together for God's dwelling. Look at verse 22. In Him... You are also being built together for God's dwelling in the Spirit. I like how 1 Peter chapter 2 really brings this out. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, he says, You yourselves, as living stones, a spiritual house, are being built to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You hear how the church is being described here? It is a community of people serving together for a purpose of worshiping God. You may not feel like you have a lot to offer. One of the important things about being a family is... And this is one of the things I told my oldest son. I said, you're the reason that I'm a father today. Just being in existence means that I get to be, have the privilege of being a father. Just being here at church is important. It's important for you to just exist in this place. Be yourself here at church. And you may be afraid that people may not like you. I get it. You may have some of the weirdest things going on, and I think I've met all the weird people in our church, and you have met me, so you know the, the weirdest one of us all. But we still love you, and we still care for you. And you guys, strangely, still love me and care for me. I don't understand. 
But how is the church described? Well, it's, it's called family. So we know families have weird people, right? And you're, you're one of them. Believe in me. But we're also a body. What, what about our body? Why is it called a body? Why is the church called a body? Well, it's because we have parts. And all the parts are important in the church. Not just some Sundays, but every Sunday. Every Sunday, you are needed. And you need the church. We have hands for serving. We have feet for going. We have mouths for talking. We have all these aspects. If I told my hands I did not need them, I would not be able to make it to church in the morning. If I told my feet they were unnecessary because they got some weird things happening, what would I do? I wouldn't be able to go very far. So you are needed at this church. You have seen our church grow recently in the last two years from 16 core members to what we have today. Every single one of you is needed here for worship, for the purpose of worshiping God. Not because we want to see you um, give more money or spend more time, but because we need you to worship God with us. I'm going to tell you, when I sing a worship song about Christ alone, who is my firm foundation, and I stand next to someone who has come out of alcoholism, I get tears in my eyes. When I sing about how Christ redeems me from the pit of depression, and I'm sitting next to someone who maybe struggles with bipolar disease, and they're singing at the top of their lungs about who Jesus Christ is to them, I worship a little bit stronger. And that's why we need each other, friends. We're all, the church is also called a bride. It's called a temple. It's called a lampstand. It has many other names. But the main point is that God designed it for us to operate in our God-given roles, which means many things. Cliffhanger. Preview of the next sermon. There is reason for the church, and we need you here. We need you to volunteer and get out of your comfort zone. You have something to contribute to the growth of this church. And as you contribute, you yourself are going to grow. You know, Verna could play songs, our pianist, could play songs with only a few keys on the piano. She does really well playing the piano. But when she uses as many as she can, she produces far better music. That's why you need to become a member of a church so that you can add your sound to the whole, so that you can add your voice in worship, that you can add your service to the body of believers here at Sierra Vista Baptist Church. Now, I know there are many reasons why you cannot or you should not be a member of a local church. But I want you to think hard. I know we're going to forget about this by lunchtime, but think hard about the value of being a member committed to a local church. I want you to think hard about that. What are you missing? What are you missing in not formally committing to walk in faith with other believers. Some reasons you may not want to join are valid. 
Maybe our statement of faith is not the same as something you believe. That's a valid reason not to join a church. Maybe you don't believe in believer's baptism. Maybe you baptize infants. That's probably a good reason not to join a local church. Our church. There is a Presbyterian church for that. But you don't really fully contribute in service and worship until you fully commit. What is it about commitment that brings us to formally work harder? When I am committed to my wife in a marriage, I serve her in more and more ways. When I am committed to an organization, when you join the army, you have to be committed. Otherwise, it will not go so well for you. You have to be committed. When you say the oath of office, when you join the military, you are making a commitment to uphold the Constitution. By saying those words, you are going to make greater effort than someone who never said that. You don't fully contribute in worship and, and service until you fully commit. You don't get the legal protections of marriage until you commit to the marriage bond. You must commit. So what that looks like at Sierra Vista Baptist Church to become a member, you have to make your desire to be a member known. You have to tell one of the elders. Then we schedule a membership class. Part of that membership class is going to include this series of videos. You will have to watch the series on membership. And then... In the class, we will talk about our statement of faith. We'll talk about our core values. And then you also will share with us your testimony. How did you become a Christian? What is the gospel? Once that goes through, then we will, as elders, sit down and evaluate your statement of faith and what you have said. And then the elders will either contact you for more information or we will vote and determine to um, include you into our body of believers. Then two weeks in the bulletin, your name will be. That way, if you are a um, notoriously bad lawyer who takes advantage of people, I know I'm picking on the lawyers, I do this often. Sorry, lawyers, don't sue me. If you're a really bad person and you show up in our, in our uh, bulletin and someone sees that, that gives us time to investigate. And then we vote you in as members. So it's a long process because we here at Sierra Vista Baptist Church Believe meaningful membership matters. And we want you to be a member, but we want you to be a real committed member here. And we're going to see the importance of that as we continue. A member must be someone that Christ has brought near by his blood. We saw that in Ephesians 11. You can't have unity with the devil. If you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, you belong to someone else. And that is a, a warning to us all. You have to be a part of the universal church, which means you are a Christian, um, like all the Christians throughout time. You have to have peace with God and others. If you are running from another church, and you are coming to this church because you had conflict at your last church that's unresolved, we want to resolve that conflict with the other church before you can be a member here. So if you have not dealt with your last church, you cannot deal with our church until we take care of business at the last church. So you cannot run from church discipline at another church and come to this church and find a secret haven. 
and we will work with you. The elders would love to talk with you and maybe even help be mediators in that process. But we are not going to steal sheep from other churches. You have to be part of the family. We love to have our potlucks because, of course, we have Baptists in our name. And Baptists love potlucks. And families eat together. We want you to be, come and have dinner with us. Come eat with us. You have to be a citizen of heaven. You have to be a Christian. You have to be walking in faith. And you have to be part of a growing family of worshipers. We want you to grow in your worship of Jesus Christ. The more you worship Christ, the more you become like Christ. So I have a confession to make. I did not think much of church membership. In fact, I didn't even think much of the church several years ago. Remember, it really made no sense to me. Even though I grew up as a missionary kid with access to all the right resources, to my parents who, are, uh, who went to seminary and have theological degrees, I did not think of much about church. I was tempted to a type of rugged individualism. I can make it on my own. Nature is my church. I just got to go fishing, and if I catch a big fish, that's God speaking to me. That's the kind of mentality that I had. In fact, I even watched Senegalese Christians walk miles to come to church, 10 to 15 miles just to get to church for a three-hour church service to worship the Lord. I watched a lady pass out with a peanut still in her hand because her family had starved her because she was a Christian. They would not give her any food. And she passed out in exhaustion in church because she was a Christian who had to be at church. I sat in two hours church services and I didn't see it. I'm going to tell you, that has changed. Church is mandatory for my soul. I have to be at church. You must be at church. I can only grow, truly grow, in a community of other believers, committing to walk with them as they commit to walk with me. I have grown so much by working with the elders of this church. Men who God has set aside to steward this body of believers. I could live a hundred lifetimes and never experience what they have. And the more I spend with them, the more I grow. And I hope that that's the same experience that you get when you come to church here. We need each other. That's what meaningful membership does. God has created the church as a mechanism for your growth as a Christian, for your growth in the trust in Jesus Christ. Do you see that? Let's see some head nods. Yes, we see that. That's why we're here, Matt. I don't understand why you keep preaching at me. We're here because we see that. If you truly believe that, then you need to commit. I know commitment's a bad word in many societies and in our culture today, but you need to commit to being with a body of believers. If it's this church, great, we want you. If it's not this church, then you need to quit playing around and find you a church to be members with, to commit to, to serve. We would love to have you, but if, it, if we're not a good fit, 
then find a local church. I'm begging you. I see the need of it. Those who skip church once or twice in a week, in a month, eventually, it's like going to the gym. If I skip a couple weeks of gym time, I'm not going back for several months. Church is the same way, friends. It shouldn't be, but it is. Our spiritual muscles are weak when we avoid church. You worship God by speaking His Word to each other. You hear the Word through preaching. You hear it through teaching, through singing, through sharing, through testimony, through serving. Life is too hard. And sin is too enticing for me to walk the space journey alone. Meaningful church membership is a gift of God to us. Are you ready for that next step? Or are you going to continue to play around in the kiddie pool? That's the question I want you to think about this week. Not only that, I want you to grab your fellow Christians, those that you run across who say they are Christians but don't have a church home. I want you to grab them this week and ask them, why is church membership meaningful? Ask them why they are not a member of a local body and then drag them, get them on drugs, drug them to church, drag them to church with you. Get these people growing in faith and worship. That's your mission this week along with committing to listen to next week, preparing for Sunday worship. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, your word speaks truth. And we see that you have created the church as a temple of worship. We are gathered here in one body to worship you. And this body is is made up of individual parts, partners in worship. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here who is not committed to a local church, that they would begin to take the steps of commitment, that they would see the need for spiritual growth, that the men in this congregation would step up and stand firm in the spiritual growth of their families. Lord, I am convicted by this message myself that I have fallen short time and time again in leading my family in family worship and also in corporate worship. Lord, these things should not be so. I pray that you forgive me and then help me to worship you in everything that I do. Lord, I pray for this congregation that if there's anyone here who has a similar experience, a poverty of church membership, a poverty of ecclesiology, that they would grow in understanding the value of loving and worshiping you along with other members committed the worship of the triune God. Father, we thank you for your mercy and your grace to us. We thank you for fathers, both spiritual and physical. We thank you for the love that they have shown to us. And we thank you, God, our Father, for who you are. And all these things we ask in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.